Well, this afternoon, as mentioned earlier in the service, we'll be uh, returning to our fifth Sunday series, uh, looking at prayer, uh, walking through the various different parts of what is often known as the Lord's Prayer. I I, uh, personally prefer to call it the Disciples' Prayer. Uh, Jesus gave the prayer to the disciples as a model prayer. The Lord has prayed many different prayers on many different occasions in His Word. This is a prayer given to us as a guide, as a template. So let's hear once again the text from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us pray. Father, again, it is awe-inspiring that you invite us to cast our cares upon you, to come to you in prayer, in prayer, to ask things of you, and to express thanksgiving for the things you have done, to praise you, and also to pray and ask you for things in itself as a matter of thanking you for your goodness to us. And Father, we pray that you would guide us today in your word. May your word sink deep within us, and may it May, may you, by your Spirit, through the, th- may your word, through your Spirit, transform us more to the image of your Son. May you reveal to us afresh from your word our relationship to you through Christ Jesus. And Father, we ask that you guide this preacher. Would you chain him to the text of your word that he may, free- that he may freely declare truth and do so clearly and accurately with understanding? We pray, th- pray these things, our Father, in Jesus' name, amen. As it's uh, usually about three months between messages or so, uh, just a, a review of things uh, that we have looked at. Uh, when we think about prayer, sometimes we think about it as something that is hard and that it is daunting. Something we go into with either a sense of, uh, sometimes we may go into it with a sense of, Okay, I have to do this again. It's really hard. Sometimes we go into it with a sense of uh, law detached from grace. That is, I need to pray. And we have no sense that this is a blessed privilege and act of grace and thanksgiving that we have have through and in Jesus Christ. A great, wonderful privilege and joy that it is to do. That sometimes we uh, attach all sorts of things to prayer. And we have this idea that it has to be, have certain words or has to be so eloquent or has to be of a certain minimum length that we end up getting afraid of it. Or sometimes we like to, maybe if we enjoy prayer 
and we like talking all these great things and maybe uh, sometimes showing off the greatness, especially in corporate prayer, of all the different things that we know and say. In reality, that's also not, as he says earlier in this passage, a, an honorable way of praying. When we looked at Psalm 116, verses 8 through 14, and we see that prayer itself is an act of thanksgiving to God. We not only give thanksgiving to God in prayer, prayer is an act of thanksgiving. As it says, how do we thank God for his benefits? We ask for more benefits. Psalm 116, 8 through 14. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even what I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. We've also learned that when we approach God, we should approach him with boldness, not because we have some sort of an inherent qualities that because we've checked all the boxes and then because we've checked all these boxes, now we can be bold. But no, because Jesus Christ has qualified us to approach God's throne. It is when we say in Jesus name, that's what we are saying. It's not a magical formula. It is not a magical formula. Rather, it is a posture that we're expressing, that it is in Jesus and by his merits and by his qualifications that we approach you. And so we can do so boldly because of the great grace that we have in Christ Jesus and to approach in boldness for all of our spiritual and temporal needs. It's thanksgiving in that it expresses dependence upon God. It's a friend of mine with whom I have actually significant. Um, he's a believer, but within that we have significant uh, disagreements on secondary and tertiary matters. And he's a great fan of a Mr. John Wesley. Um, but uh, he says this. He says, prayerlessness is the language of pride, whereas prayer is the language of humility because it expresses dependence upon God. It's thanksgiving because it's an act of obedience. It's thanksgiving because it expresses faith in God. And as mentioned, it shows humility. Simply asking God for our need is to say thank you for what you have done. Because we're approaching him. We've also looked at the ways we tend to approach prayer wrongly. Sometimes, as I mentioned earlier, we put time limits or minimums. If I don't pray an hour a day, then something is wrong. I must ask you, where does the Bible say we have to give specifically an hour a day? That's found in the book of Second Hesitations, by the way. You can also find in the book of Hezekiah. But we are called upon to pray continuously and to pray constantly and to go to the Lord in prayer. I remember uh, early on as a young Christian, I wanted to go to the Lord in prayer. And it's good to want to go to the Lord in prayer, but I decided I was going to follow a hero I was reading about and get up at five in the morning. And for a 19-year-old, 20-year-old college student, five in the morning is, you know, that's, that's not normal. So got up at five in the morning. 
went to, and start and opened up my Bible, read some verses and proceeded to bow my head and go to the Lord in prayer. And about an hour and a half later, I woke up. While we should endeavor to pray well and accurately, our prayers are not heard on account of their eloquence or their precision. And thank the Lord for that. They're heard on the merits of Jesus and by the work of the Spirit from Romans 8, 26 and 27, who takes that, who knows the mind of God and communicates that which is in the heart of the believer and accordance to the will of God communicates that to the Father. And groanings that cannot be uttered, that are not heard. <clears throat> now we've been looking at the disciples' prayer from Matthew 6, 5 through 13. We saw the address, our Father who is in heaven. That when we address our Father, this teaches us about our new relationship with God. That we've been adopted into his household. But he's not just like a, an earthly father. He's heavenly. He's able to do what we cannot do for ourselves. And plus, it turns our minds and our hearts to where our hope and our citizenship truly lie. Where is our citizenship? It is not earthly. It's not built on soil, but rather it's built in a heavenly city. And while our earthly familial bonds are important, they are not absolute. Same with any other earthly bonds that we have, whether they be uh, family bonds or even ethnic bonds or such because we have an eternal and absolute family bond with believers from all times and all places. In fact, Jesus says that in the kingdom, that is in the final age, at the end, when after it's all said and done, he said people will not be married nor given in marriage. Marriage is an ordinary, is an ordinary ordinance for this age. But what is eternal is the fa family bond we have with believers from all times and all places, from every different background. I have more in common with a believer living in a hut in the plains of a faraway land than, a believer, than an unbeliever who has, it, quote unquote, my place in life, who is very much like me in other ways other than my relationship to Christ. And that is same with you and every believer everywhere. Our family, uh, that is our, and, and that comes with the language father and our. We have a common father. We've learned about hallowed be your name. We're asking that God would honor his name in our lives, in the church and throughout the world by creating worshipers of him through Jesus Christ. And last time we looked at the idea of your kingdom come. We're asking for the kingdom of God to come. We're asking for the gospel to become ever more real to us, for his influence by the spirit to work increasingly in us, that we might live for him, for him. We're praying for the church, both our church and every church and all of his people, for us to be a people who have the gospel and who cherish it, for us to people be a people who rest in Christ and for the church to be faithful and have her offices filled, the pastors and deacons and that they be faithful to Christ, the entire church, and to maintain doctrinal fidelity, to be faithful to what God's word says, and love for Christ. We're also praying for the word, the world, that the word of Christ may go out from his people to every kind of people 
It is in coming under the rule of God in Christ Jesus that the kingdom of God that Jesus <clears throat> that Jesus brings that in people coming to him that is how they enter into his kingdom. Just like us for Colossians 1:13 says he has transferred us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. We must also remember that Jesus didn't offer a kingdom that is of this world, some sort of a social or political transformation or revolution or a utopian dream in this age, in his first coming. That awaits his return. He did not come as a revolutionary in the common sense of the word. It was an otherworldly revolution, one that was in the form, as we've said several times, not in the form of the roaring of a lion, but in the form of the bleeding of a baby sheep, a lamb. <clears throat> and furthermore, we're also waiting for his return. When we ask for his kingdom to come, we're asking for Jesus to make haste and bring about the day of resurrection and judgment. We're asking for the full number of those who would come to him, those who we would call his elect to come to faith in Christ. Those who from before the foundation of the world he has chosen for himself. And now today we're in the third petition. The third petition or the third request. That's what a petition is. It's a request. First petition was hallowed be your name. Second petition is your kingdom come. Here's the third one. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just looking at this, for what are we asking? For what are we asking? We're asking for something to be done. What is it we're asking to be done? We're asking for his will to be done. We're also asking for his will to be done in a certain manner on earth as it is in heaven. So to grasp what we're praying for in this petition, that we can pray understandably, because remember this prayer, while it can be repeated, um, is a guide of sorts. It is a guide. It leads us through the basics of prayer, of the things we should do when we pray. So when we answer these questions, we'll have a better idea of how we can pray in this regard. As we've done in this series, I like to look at um, how others have answered this question. Kind of a historical review, or if you've ever written a paper, what you would call a literature review. But the, uh, and I like looking at the catechisms, some of the historic ones, and the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which a catechism is nothing more than a question and answer way of teaching the faith. It's not, catechisms were not invented by Roman Catholics. They were invented by Luther for the purpose of preventing people from caving in to what the Pope was saying. He says, in the third petition, which is thy will be done on earth, in earth as it is in heaven, we pray that God by his grace would make us able and willing to know, obey, and submit to his will in all things as the angels do in heaven. Now that was the one that was written for children in the 17th century. One that was written for adults, the larger catechism. It says in the third petition, which is thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, acknowledging that by nature we and all men are not only utterly unable and unwilling to know and do the will of God, but prone to rebel against his word, to repine and murmur against his providence, and wholly inclined to do the will of the flesh and of the devil, 
We pray that God would, by His Spirit, take away from ourselves and others all blindness, weakness, indisposedness, and perseverance of heart. And by His grace, make us able and willing to do and submit to His will in all things with like humility, cheerfulness, faithfulness, diligence, zeal, sincerity, and constancy as the angels do in heaven. So basically, that God would... uh, uh, deal with the indwelling sin within us and the indwelling rebellion, rebellion within us and help us to cheer, not just simply uh, obey him, but to obey him joyfully. Think of a child who, remember seeing this illustration, uh, there's a parent who's driving a car and the child keeps standing up in the back seat The parent finally lays down the hammer and says, you sit down or you sit down and stay seated. Otherwise, uh, otherwise you're going to be in deep trouble. So the kid sits down and buckles his seatbelt. Then he says, but I'm still standing in my heart. (laughs) The Heidelberg Catechism says the what, what we mean by this is thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That is, grant that we and all men may renounce our own will and yield ourselves without gainsaying to thy will, which is alone good. So everyone may fulfill his office and calling as willingly and truly as the angels do in heaven. John Calvin talked about this. What do we mean that by asking that the will of God may be done, that all creatures may be brought under the obedience to him so that everything may be done according to his will? What do we mean that nothing can be contrary to his will? Do you mean that nothing can be contrary to his will? We ask not only that he may bring all things to pass, as he is determined in his counsel, but also that, putting down all rebellion, he may bring all wills to conform to his own. In so doing, do we we not renounce our own wills? We do, not only that he may overthrow our desires, which are at variance with his own good will, bringing them to nothing, but also that he may create in us new spirits and new hearts so that we may have nothing of ourselves, but rather that his spirit may will in us and bring us into full agreement with him. Why do you add on earth as it is in heaven? Since his last heavenly creature or his angels have it as their own object to obey him promptly without opposition, we desire that the same thing may be done on earth, that is, that all men may yield themselves to voluntary obedience. Martin Luther, who came before John Calvin. What does this mean? The good and gracious will of God is done indeed without our prayer, but we pray in this petition that it may be done also among us also. How is this done? When God breaks and hinders every counsel and will, which would not let us hallow the name of God, nor let his kingdom come, such as the will of the devil, the world, and our flesh but strengthen and keep us steadfast in his word and in faith unto our end. This is his gracious and good will. So those are, that's a survey. There's a lot more I could have included, but not, I don't want to spend too much time, more time than we have on that. But let's look at the language of this. First of all, the meat of the request is this, your will be done. When we think of God's will, what is it? that we think of. I think some of that changes depending on our age or maturity as Christians. 
In our younger years, when we think of God's will, we might think of it primarily in terms of, should I take this job? Uh, Should I marry this person? Uh, Which house should we buy? Thinking about it in terms of our individual circumstances. And that is something that, of course, we wish to exercise wisdom and clarity in that. But, you know, God doesn't very infrequently actually uh, makes things absolutely crystal clear in those matters. He asks us to exercise and ask for wisdom, which is his will for us to ask in wisdom and to commit our plans to him. When we think of God's will, there is actually a number of different ways biblically that we should think about it. First of all, and this is when we think of whom we should marry, which job we should take, this has more to do with what we call his secret will. Or others have called it his decorative will. Or I like to call it his providential will. And then there's also his revealed will. His revealed will. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, lays both of these out for us. If you wish to turn there, I'll just give you a moment, so you don't have to, though. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So here is spoken of God's secret things, that which only he knows. And then there's those things which he has revealed. And in terms of his will, there is his that which only he knows and that which he has revealed. We'll talk about his revealed will will in a moment and where we see that will, will revealed. But we see, first of all, this idea of that which is secret, that belongs only to the Lord, the secret things that belong to the Lord. We must remember that God is in his own category. We've said this several times. He is in his own category. There is something God is that you and I and no one else will ever be. Not any human, not any animal, not any angel in heaven. That is, he will always be the creator. He will always be alone, the potter. Everything else is creature. You and I are creatures. Everything else is clay in his hands. He alone knows his eternal purposes and his plans for his creation. Being in his own category, we cannot know him apart from him revealing himself, including his will in terms of what we should know. The secret things that belong to the Lord, think of it, his plan for his details of his plan for history, apart from which he's already made known. His specific plans for each person. His acts of providence. We oftentimes, when things come across our path, we often want to know why. Specifically, why. Often, that's not for us to know. Other than 
He is always doing his work for his for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That good defined in the next verse is being conformed to the image of his son. He's always doing that work. We know God's activity in history and we know his plans in this matter as a matter of things that come to pass. There is absolutely nothing that comes to pass in which God has not somehow worked that into his eternal purposes according to his secret providential decreed will. Think of Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. In Genesis 50, is, uh, we've had the reunion of Joseph to his brothers and his dad. If you don't familiar with the story, Joseph was uh, the eye of Jacob's eye, uh, the eye of J- his dad, Jacob, the eye of his heart, the apple of his eye. And he had a, a coat of many colors and his brothers were re- really jealous and they finally had had enough. And so they arranged for him to, uh, they put him in a pit and um, it ended up, he ultimately ended up getting sold into slavery and going to Egypt He was uh, falsely accused of a number of different things. And then he ended up in a position of power in Egypt where he was the right-hand man to Pharaoh. There are are scholars, uh, archaeologists, who speculate whether or not there was a famous architect and person of the ancient Egyptian world by the name of Imhotep, which can loosely translate to Joseph uh, from uh, ancient Egyptian. However... There was Pharaoh. There, there was a famine in Canaan, and his brothers ended up coming to him, not knowing who he was, for help, getting supplies and food. And he recognized them, though they didn't recognize him. He ultimately, after a number of different events, revealed himself to them, and they were scared. But and here's at the end, the blessings have been passed on, and Joseph is making a statement, and he says this. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Notice it did not say he did not say that what you intended for evil, God used for good. He did use it for good. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Meaning God arranged things for that to happen. He arranged things for that to happen according to his providence. There is not one thing that happens in history in which God is not working out his purposes for history. And so in that sense, when we look at things that have come to pass We see this as God's providence and God's activity. On one of those questions, whom should we marry? And say someone is married and they're asking, have I married the right person? Did I marry the one? Of course, I had a professor in seminary who threw that the one into the into the uh, uh, that one. There's one specifically set out somewhere, and that if we get that wrong, we're messed up. Think about it. If you get it wrong, 
you've messed it up for everybody in history from here on out. (laughs) Rather, here's the answer. Are we married to the right person? One theologian I read said, look at the name on the marriage certificate. As a general rule. Now when. So when we're asking for his will to be done in this regard. We're asking for God to work in accordance with his providence in our lives. And in the lives of our neighbors. Our church is our country. And everything else. We're asking God to work according to his providence, according to his plans, to bring about his purposes, which he's always doing. That's part of asking for his will to be done. His purposes, which are we're not to which we're not privy. We do not know God the way he knows himself, nor will we ever. We only know him according to his revelation. And even that we only know according to the limitations of our human understanding according to the limitations of our creatureliness. What blessed be God who has condescended to us and revealed himself to us. And so when we're asking for God's will to be done, we are asking him to work providentially. That's what we're asking when we ask God to work as we're commanded to pray for those who are in authority. We're asking God to work providentially according to his purposes, according to his plans. Whenever there's someone in authority, the scripture says they're there because God has placed them there. Whether we happen to be pleased with that particular authority or not. But then there's God's revealed will. And this is where I wish to spend the balance of our time today. Where is his revealed will found? Where do we get this? That is, if we are to know God, what God wishes for us to do, it's not for us to divine it from things that we see around us. We'll we'll get it wrong if we do that. It's not for us to divine it according to um, the ways that different false religions might do so. Is it found in ecstatic utterances or other things? Is it found in prophecy? My answer to that, it, yes, it is found in prophecy. But where is this prophecy found? It's found in the revelation of God that we find in the scriptures of the Old and the New Testament. That is God's absolute and clear will for all people of all times. That is his special revelation. We have the apostles still speaking to us today in these scriptures. We have the prophets still speaking to us today in these scriptures. Even many of the Old Testament prophets in many of their, ex, in many of their rebukes, if we look at it closely, many of them are largely just expositions of the blessings and curses from Deuteronomy 27 and 28. And yes, there was special revelation that was given for that purpose. Now we have Jesus, our final revelation, the final word from God from Hebrews 11.1. 1. 
So it is found in the revelation of God that we find in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, the word of God, which points to the one who is the living word of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the language in Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, we said, the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. His word, what he's revealed here. So if we're going to declare something to be the will of God, it better have a rooting in the scriptures. If we're going to be declare something that thus saith the Lord, it better have a rooting in scripture. You've heard it said, thankfully I've never encountered this. I say thankfully because I don't know if I would respond in a godly way if someone came up to me and did this. I'd say, come up, come up to me and say, you know, I think God's speaking to me about something. I think he's telling me that I need to leave my wife and go after this lady at work. I can tell you someone spoke that, but it wasn't God because it's not in his word. In fact, it violates his word. It violates his word. We're told even when we sing to sing the word of God. Meaning that which we sing must flow from the word of God. In fact, today in our service, we sang two, two songs that were based on Psalms. One that was based on Psalm 5 and one based on Psalm 51. So it must come from his word. And the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may do all the words of his law. The typical way the Holy Spirit, who is active today, is working, is working through His Word. His will has to do with that He has revealed, becoming true for us in our lives and our practice. We're asking that for us and for those for whom we pray that the will of the Lord would be done. There are several biblical examples of that. The example, for example, of our own faith that we might trust in the Lord and that there might that we might be assured of God's favor in us. John chapter six, verse 40. This is, of course, the section that kind of got Jesus in trouble, so to speak, uh, with those who were around him. He was giving these great messages. He had just fed the five thousand. And then he said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life in you. And immediately the crowd was, and we don't like what this guy has to say. It's in this passage that he also says shortly after this, that all that the Father has given to me will come to me. But he says this, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That is that we might walk in faith in Christ Jesus and that we might walk in the knowledge that if we believe upon him. We have this trust that he will raise us up on the last day for those who are in Christ Jesus. Also built into that is this idea that it is his will that people know this, that people be told this, people 
be spoken to this. So we're asking that we could walk in the assurance of this and that we could proclaim this truth and make it known. Those who believe, uh, who look upon the Son and believe in Him should have eternal life and be raised up on the last day. Also built into praying for God's will, will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, is praying for our own, praying for our sanctification, is our sanctification. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 1 through 12 gives some examples of that. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 12. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. He deals with a specific aspect of sanctification now. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body and holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one who transgresses and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and to be dependent upon no one. He prays for their sanctification, and then he names, first of all, sexual immorality, and then names a number of different aspects of sanctification, brotherly love, and also doing something that maybe we're not always good at, um, but to aspire to live quietly and to mind our own business and to work with our hands. Instead of being busybodies, trying to go around influencing people. We have here our sanctification. When we are praying for God's will to be done, we are praying for our sanctification in our hearts, in our minds, in our, in, our, in our lives. God's sanctifying work to be done and the fruit of that in, form, in the form of being conformed to the image of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we should pray for our sanctification and for the sanctification of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes we go to the Lord in prayer and we don't know how to pray for somebody. Sometimes at the Bible college I taught at, a student or a fellow faculty member would come to me and say, pray for me. I'd say, okay, what for? He said, just pray for me. I said, okay. And so I'd go pray things like this. God's will. What his will is. That the Lord would do his good work of moving us more to the image of his son. That is something we can pray for every believer everywhere, for those whom we know. And pray that, as we mentioned earlier, that we could walk in the assurance of God's favor for us in Christ Jesus. In John 640. To rest upon him. That we might receive from him.
And we're all and we'll talk about that in a moment. But anything that God has spoken to us in his scriptures. We're also praying that we would be bound by the scriptures and not other things. We are not free to bind one another to things God has not revealed. We are not free to bind one another to things God has not revealed. I said, if we are going to say, you must do this, then we better have a scriptural basis for it. If not, we are likely putting words into God's mouth. And he does not take kindly to that. Even in our worship, God has commanded that his people participate in the public worship of God. And where we can pray for God's will to be done is that we would be guided by the scriptures and the scriptures alone. To place upon, to, God's people are required to participate in the worship of God for the leaders of the church. Then to add things that God has not made known in the scriptures is to bind people to things God has not revealed. We call that the regulative principle, by the, principle, by the way. It's a freeing thing. It frees us. It actually frees the people of God from uh, the whims of the church leadership. We're praying for God's will to be done, what he has revealed, what he's made known for us. You said sexual immorality, brotherly love, and to work with our own hands, minding our own business, living in quietness. We're also commanded to pray for people to come to faith in Christ as well as commanded to pray for uh, governing authorities. It's as he has revealed that his, his will for us is to pray for governing authorities. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 6, which also includes prayer, the idea of people coming to faith in Christ. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So praying for kings and authorities, it doesn't specify what to pray for them, just to pray for them. Didn't do so this week, but often in uh, our pastoral prayer time, following on the heels of uh, a pastor I like listening to, who said he always prays for the president in his, doesn't matter who it is. He's done that for like 30 years now. Doesn't matter who it is, prays for him by name. And prays that uh, that man, may that what he does would, would be uh, wholesome, just, and beneficial. And that if he and his family don't know Christ, that he would come to faith in Christ. After all, in the context of this, is coming to faith in Christ. And part of praying for God's will to be done is praying for God to bless his missionary, the, mission, the mission effort of believers in home and abroad. Praying for Keith and Carmen in France, obviously, like what we're doing tonight. 
but also praying for us in our own mission that we have in our own various different ordinary vocations to serve him faithfully in our vocations. And by vocation, I don't mean necessarily what you get paid for. Mother and a father is a vocation. Husband and wife is a vocation. To serve him well in faith in Christ Jesus. And as opportunity arises to share Christ in word, to share who he is, that people might come to faith in Christ in accordance with our giftings and our personalities and the way God has wired us. I'm praying that the Lord would give us opportunity so to do. We often fear the ordinary. I know a lot of people after they leave high school or college, they get into the real world and absolutely discover and are shocked and horrified by how going into this world, thinking I'm going to do this life-changing thing, going to go become an engineer, going to become a car mechanic, thinking and do all these wonderful things and discover that life is absolutely boring and mundane. Every day, but it is in that every day that we love the Lord. And we're praying in that just from First Thessalonians that we mentioned, in that everyday, mundane existence, serving the Lord. Everything we do, we do it as unto the Lord. <clears throat> we're also praying that the Lord would give us proper perspective on things. Another explicit statement about the will of God. First Thessalonians four, sixteen through eighteen. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry. 5, 16 through 18. That's a great verse, though, by the way. Um, (laughs) um, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain every form of evil. What does he say? He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the will of God. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. That is, we test everything according to God's word, it says. We test it all according to his word. So to have the proper perspective on things. We're also asking for us to be transformed according to the renewal of our mind so that we can test and approve what God's will is. What he's revealed. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, urge your brothers in view of God's mercy to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this age, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And we're also praying for anything that is commanded to us or given to us in his scripture. Again, that is what is revealed to us. That is what it is for us to know. James chapter 1 speaks about another aspect of God's will. And this is something most, a lot of life, there's a lot of muddiness in life. 
a lot of things where we don't have a clear mandate from scriptures on things or things in which um, there's might be different ways of expressing godliness because of the complexity of a situation. He says this in James chapter 1, to seek wisdom. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without approach, and it will be given to him. To ask for wisdom in the various different circumstances facing us. In particular, he's dealing there with trials. But it goes broader than that. R.A. Torrey, uh, he had a book on prayer, and he was instructing, he talked a story about he's instructing a young man and sharing the gospel. And the man wasn't sure that he would know what to do. And he said, well, read James 1.5. It says, well, if anyone should need wisdom, ask the Lord for wisdom. So they prayed to the Lord and asked for wisdom. And he said, okay, you've prayed to the Lord and asked for wisdom. Is it his will that you have wisdom? He said, yes. Well, go and share Christ. He's given you wisdom. Because it's God's will that you have wisdom. Anything that's been given to us in the scripture. But furthermore, there's another qualifier on that. On earth as it is in heaven. Again, where is our father in heaven? What do we mean by in heaven? Is God's will perfectly being done where God is in his dwelling place? Yes, where he is, it is absolute perfection. The angels obey God without question. That is what we're asking when we ask for that, that we would obey God without question, according to his will. That we would submit to his word without question. That we would believe upon Christ as the foundation of that recognizing who he is and what he has done without question. When we have doubts, bringing those to the Lord and being honest about those things, by the way. If there's anything, as an, just a little, as a little aside, that I think a church really needs to be uh, about, one thing we need to do is it should be a place where Christians should feel free, uh, have the freedom to say, I'm really struggling with this. And to not all of a sudden find that uh, they're, they've been shunned. But say, I'm really struggling with this because we're all debtors to grace. Or I have this doubt, could you help me? It's not for us to put our best foot forward all the time. So we're asking for his perfect will to be increasing an increasing reality in our lives and in our hearts. And for it to be to do so in a manner in which we are not only sitting down in the back seat, but we're not standing up in our hearts. Back to the illustration of a child, especially an older child. I used to be guilty. I was guilty of this. Probably still am. In different ways. My mom would say, go clean your room. I go clean my room. The whole while I'm cleaning my room, I'm going, saying all sorts of unmentionable things. Is that really, truly obeying my mom? No, it was not. So we're asking that we would obey from the heart, joyfully and cheerfully. Remember where our true citizenship is. 
Our true citizenship is not here. We do not have an etern- we do not have a lasting place, a lasting city here, as Hebrews 13 says. Our lasting city is the heavenly city for which we wait. We do not have a piece of it is not about a piece of soil for a bloodline. And that is where our citizenship lies. It lies in God's throne room, in his presence before him. And we're asking that that future reality would become an ever-present experience. More and more. So brothers and sisters, in closing, there's more to it. Sorry, I just counted. More to it than those 11 words. Those 11 words communicate a grand truth. Communicate that it is God's will we want to be done. And not only to be done, but to be done joyfully. We're also praying it for our neighbors and for ourselves. We're also praying that God would act according to his purposes and his plans in history and the events of this world and the events of our lives. Those secret plans which we are not privy to because God has not spoken them to us in his word that he would work according to those plans. The only thing we know for certain is the absolute will of God is what is here. So let us pray when we see scripture, when we see God saying something, let's pray that word, that scripture to be real in our minds, in our hearts, of ourselves, our neighbor, our brothers and sisters in Christ and our neighbors. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. For what are we if we did not make yourself known? We ask, O Father, that you would, by your Spirit, make this ever more real to us. Jesus Christ, for what he has done for us, that we would rest in him, which is your will. That we would be assured of your grace in him, which is your will. That we would grow in our likeness to Christ, which is your will. Which we would grow in a proper perspective of life and godliness, to be joyful and thankful thanksgiving which is your will we ask O father that you would help us O lord to do so joyfully with hearts full of thanksgiving we pray these things our father through jesus christ our lord amen